video. We don't talk about cell phones here, just movies. Movies we could watch on our cell phones. I'm Nathan Rohr, formerly of Rogers Video Store, that was being transformed into Rogers Wireless right under my feet. And I'm joined, as always, by Ryan McCullough. See, this this comment, hey, Ryan here, uh, this comment doesn't uh, work for me because I never worked at a video store slash mobile that store. That was trying to pivot to something else. Yeah. Like Rogers, yeah. Rogers was never my favorite video stores. Uh, we had one in Mindapur. I did not enjoy going to it. Blockbuster was down the road. Sundance videos across the street. Mm-hmm. HQ was in Canyon Meadows. I mean, it was in Chaparral. And yeah, so because there was always this like little corner of like, hey, this isn't this isn't what this is about, guys. And then it slow. That corner started growing and growing, growing, and, growing. and they started badgering staff more and more to care about that because yeah. there's commission in it and stuff. It's like I don't know anything about that, and I don't care about it. I'm just trying to talk about. Plan of the Apes or whatever. Like but but I do appreciate movies. though. I do appreciate that. Like, yeah, we do care about because I guarantee you've been on your phone a lot today. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, and but... I've been on my phone. I don't want a cell phone. Like, sell cell phones. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a cell phone salesman. Is what no. I'm trying to say. But I, yeah. So I, do, I don't have the same thing. But the question is, you wait. Have you ever actually watched like actually watched a movie on your phone? Yes. Yeah, I watched Thinner on my phone. I guess uh, that makes sense. That's a movie to watch on a phone. <laughs> that's the first movie I ever watched on my phone. And it was just like, hey, this works. And it's kind of a TV-ish grade movie. So it doesn't yeah, it's matter. Not a, it's not a movie you need to see on the big on a bigger screen. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never actually watched a movie on my phone before. Because okay. it's like, I, if, I'm, if I'm on a situation where I can watch a movie on like a TV or computer screen at least, I'm like, oh, it's mm-hmm. not worth it. But there's this one flight. You and I went to Vancouver a couple of years ago. Yes, that's right. And I loaded up my video iPod, like with the wheel, with iPhone, with Office episodes from season four. And yeah, I sat like on the plane. Sitcoms fits the format, okay? Yes. Like, because it's the comedy can still play. You don't yeah. need the spectacle. No. So I, I, did, I have done that, but I was even on a smaller screen because I was on, like, the video iPod situation. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, no, I've never done this. But anywho, yeah, we're not talking about cell phones today. There's no cell phones in the movie that we. We're talking about, uh, yeah. but I'm Ryan and I'm here watching movies with my friend Nathan. Uh, you, you sort of stole my joke here. This week we were talking about a world ah. without cell phones. <laughs> Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I didn't read that far ahead. Literally See, there's no electricity, so they can't stay charged. Uh, it was directed by Matt Reeves and written by Mark Bombach and A&D, Rick Jaffa, Ampersand, <laughs> Amanda Silver. Yes. Different writing teams. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it came out July 11th, 2014, cost $170 million and roped in 710.6, which is the highest. probably the high watermark in the series. Yeah, because the first one made like a 40, 400 something. Yeah. And then this, I think the next one, War, made about 500 to 600. Like it didn't quite 450, reach. I think is what it was. Yeah, so yeah. it didn't quite reach. This one was definitely the big, the big one of this franchise. The spike. Yeah. yeah. Uh, critically, too, like the... Critics liked all three movies, but this was the one that was kind of like the higher watermark. I'll have to. Well, I don't. I don't know. I didn't check the like. Does that just mean most people went? Sure, yeah. Uh, six, it's also six point five. <laughs> no, because it's also the highest on IMDb, and I think it has the highest. Okay. Like yeah, Metis, it's point one. Like has the highest uh, Metacritic. Point two, seven point four, seven point four, and this is seven. I think it's seventy nine on Metacritic. Yeah. Yeah, Metacritic is the highest of that one too. Yeah, but. uh yeah, and then like the I, I mean IMDb score I don't care about myself because it's they people 
that rate things on IMDb can there's be There's a pretty... fickleness there. Well, something. and there's just like a group of people that are like, oh, hey, you're like all about wokeness. I'm going to hate you. You're going to get a one from me. Just, mm-hmm. I'm never going to see your thing, but I'm going to give you a one. I'm just like, oh, okay. I don't. How much should I weigh like IMDb scores? I guess so. Like, I used to regard it as like the voice of the people, but it might just be the voice of weird people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of like a certain type of people, I would say. Yeah. Like there's, I think there's a lots of people that are not like lots of types of people that are not using IMDb as a, to reflect how they felt about that thing. They yes. just move on with. I don't know if you notice, like the top ten is largely filled with pretty like heteronormative white Caucasian mm-hmm. films. Shawshank yeah. being like the probably the most of that type of thing. Like well, I know, I was saying of Twelve Angry Men in a positive way, but it's it's a bunch of white dudes. It was a while ago. It's well, like there's this thing about old. like. People, there's this whole criticism. I, I, I've been recently thinking about this with uh, critical race theory. And it was like, yeah, there's all these people that are like, yeah, but I love like 12 Angry Men. But it's like, yeah, but you only are okay with a black person being the subject of it, but mm-hmm. off screen. And then you're like, oh, these white people are like, yeah, you shouldn't be treating them like this. And it's like, well, how many movies do you actually see that star a lot more black people, though? Like, just yeah, as Yeah, I mean, characters. they remade it in 97 and rounded out the cast more. But, like, your core, like, juror number eight is yes. still a white guy. Yeah, still Jack <laughs> Lemmon. And then the bad guy is still George C. Scott. Like, it's still yeah, yeah. largely. Like, the major play players are still fitting yeah. that mold. Yeah. And so... Like, I don't know, I watched uh, I watched Candyman, this is the big sidetrack, but it kind of just kind of came up, but I watched Candyman this week, like the new one, and yeah. it was just like, kind of like, oh, this is great, this is not a movie for me, but I'm watching a movie of a, of a culture that's commenting on a culture that I have uh, unwilf- like unknowingly attributed, like, and given myself, like, given to, and here I am, like, watching them be like, hey, don't do that anymore, because this mm-hmm. is important to us, and so, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed it. Candyman. So, yeah, that was one of my favorites of last year. Uh, now yeah. that we've just crossed. Now that over. we're well, no, we're just in. But by the time this comes out, it'll be in. Well into January. Yeah, this anyway. is. Uh, yeah, but I did. Yeah. I but I just watched it. Actually, I watched it last year because it was just last week I watched it, so it was still last year. Okay, so I'm good. Anyways, hey, do you want to hear the summary? I do. Yeah. Okay. What's uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes all about? Yeah, for sure. Hamlet has come in many forms. But I bet even William Shakespeare would agree that his story was best suited for apes. For a proper synopsis, please refer to your high school cliff notes on Hamlet or refer to your childhood viewing of The Lion King. Definite Lion King vibes. <laughs> uh, which, yeah. Um... Yep, there's kind of these kingdoms of different beliefs. Let's just, let's just get into it right <laughs> off the bat, Nathan. You do not like this movie. No, this movie is uh, kind of long mm-hmm. and kind of joyless. Uh, just a dreary, overcast movie with a lot of anger, and I I did not have a great time. <laughs> which but, is yeah. which is I think is fascinating because like, because I do love this movie. I love all all three of these films though. Um, mm-hmm. This is probably my favorite of the three. Uh, mm-hmm. but like there, it's like marginal. It's like the one point up and down type of thing. Yeah. Um, but the, like, what is like, what is your, I guess, what is your comic relief in rise of the plenty apes from like 40 minute mark forward? I think I'm trying to think what that movie finds. Like 
something with just the way the apes are interacting with each other i find amusing and fun you know like maurice talks to caesar that's kind of funny like there's there's nothing plus it's shorter so it doesn't need relief from its own doldrums as much yeah it keeps moving i don't feel the weight of this like i don't feel the weight of the length like like you do Um, okay that being said though i think you're going through a journey right now where like your like 90 minute movies or 100 minute movies are like that's that's the length of a film i feel yeah i i especially admire a movie that can like succinctly state its purpose quickly like if you can do it in 100 minutes you've written like the ideal screenplay (laughs) if you're like well i'm gonna cram in some more things here and there it's just like wow i wish you stayed more disciplined and didn't do that because i don't care about this (laughs) kind of thing whereas like and so where i'm living in right like kind of always is like if it's a movie I like, I'm happily going to sit in it for as ever long as the director wants me to sit in it. So sure. an example of this that I can think of, so two examples actually, back to back type of thing. There's two and a half hours of a movie called Django Unchained, which I thought was way too long. I was like, this mm-hmm. movie is needlessly long. I don't really care what's happening. I feel like the plot could be like done better in a shorter period of time. And then immediately afterwards, he brought out a three hour movie. And I sat there being like, oh, I enjoyed every single second of it. I thought, like, that was, like, a good length of a film. And, like, I, also a Western and everything. Yeah. It's just kind of how you spend your resources or Exactly. Something. Like, for me, like, length only matters if I'm invested into what's happening on screen. Uh, I can be there for ever long as you want me to be there for. I just watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy in two days. And it was like, oh, man, that's, like, 12 hours of stuff happening. But I can mm-hmm. do that. Because they got me. Like, they got me there. But if it was, like, The Godfather, I'd be like, man, I need to do this over a longer period of time. Because it's good, but it's like, do I want to be there? I'd much rather watch Apocalypse Now, in all honesty. You know what? I think, tone-wise, like, this more so reminds me of that kind of overly dramatic Godfather experience you're talking about. Sure. Like, I just... I liked Caesar in the first one when he had, like, a clear purpose of just, like, breaking free of his shackles kind of thing. Now it's just this more convoluted conflict they cook up here and i just didn't buy it i'm so. i'm gonna 100 percent disagree with you on this one i don't think it's convoluted i think this is they're trying to create a society and he's trying to lead a society of people with significantly differing views yeah i thought all the characters made the choices that were logical to the choices that they would make so caesar i think that's true with like the core two apes i make that i, I think felt that's the true. humans are like just a plot like poker oh like they're no just there to aggravate oh things. my goodness we live in an age now so the the mechanic dude who is just like it's called the simian flu mm-hmm. like that whole conversation he had about like how could you like these things it was called the simian flu and then carrie russell's like no it was created in a lab in genesis yeah i know yeah we're Carver literally living the in the character. world where people are like it's called the chinese flu so we should hate these people because it's from there it's like that's not how this happens like those those people that you're not liking, like you're not supposed to like them because they're but they exist for real in the world, mm-hmm. and this conflict they're creating is a real conflict that they're creating in the world. Like even Gary Oldman's perspective, I get and I don't like him, but it's because like he's just walking around and all of a sudden out of nowhere apes attack his city, and he doesn't know the whole context of what's going on with the inner politics of Caesar and Kova, but yeah. he just, he just knows that a bunch of apes attacked his city, so he's going to do something to stop him. Jason mm-hmm. Clark could sit down and try to explain to him all the inner workings of it, but this is a guy who didn't want to hear that they could talk either. Right. 
I okay. Like I don't know if we want to jump ahead to my issues with the Dreyfus character, but I felt that character Is that Jason, would, Jason Clark. Oh no, that's Gary Oldman's character. Sure, yeah. I felt like he was just kind of underdeveloped, and it would have served the story better if it was just Landon from the first movie. Like, because we at least have a backstory for him that we've seen, and then he could look at a picture of Tom Felton and be pissed about that because he knows his son was killed by apes. I don't know what happened to Dreyfus's family. Like, they're just dead now, probably because of the virus, you know? Yeah, that's what the movie implies. Like, it's just kind of left with, like, why does he hate apes so much? The movie needs him to like so he'll blow up a thing oh see i disagree i don't think the movie i don't think going into the movie does he hate apes at all i think i mean they give him a couple moments where he's just kind of angrily shouts they're animals like that's that's his justification for how he behaves later yeah because there's never like what happened on the bridge was something that was reported in media but people didn't see apes walking and talking or riding horses like they didn't see those things which in the opening like uh, news montage we get over the map, they say that that standoff was like six hours. I know. Which is like, what? Like that was I, not I assume, the vibe in the first movie. Yeah. I <laughs> assume that the, they meant like all day, like, like the whole rampaging around the city yes. and then going out into the forest yes. took approximately six hours, which I, I yeah. could see that better for like travel wise, like for apes to run, from where they left the where sanctuary they need to to go to Genesis, break yes. out everybody, go to the zoo, break out everybody, yes. go to the bridge, ruin rush hour traffic. I, I also heard know. that too, and I was like, no, okay, it makes sense if it's the whole day, but it was not a six hour standoff on the bridge itself. Like that bus was there between the <laughs> cops and the apes for hours. We yeah, just they, they sent over, over negotiators. That. They sent negotiators <laughs> over to go in sign language with the apes to get them over, yeah. and it, the negotiations fell apart. It was kind of like conquest. It was like go home no and they did that for like two hours <laughs> off screen and then yeah. resumed the yeah. action that yeah we saw. only got the highlight reel like that's what they showed us they didn't want to show us like the the long yeah. drawn out talks they had between them right. um they they also established like the kill rate of this virus is like 499 out of 500 people die yes <laughs> so it's most of humanity has perished yeah which uh, the movie the movie makes yeah pretty clear right off the bat but even like the settlement of people like, I don't know, like, it's only been 10 years since the last film, and I'm, like, thinking, like, here we are almost two years into a pandemic, and, like, how riled up and crazy people are getting now, and we still have all of our, like, features, like, all of our electricity. Like, society is still basically stable. Yeah. Yeah, you just need to show a thing if you want to go to a certain store. Or so, what I took out of um, Gary Oldman's character, and I'm not disagreeing with you that he wasn't well-developed. I don't think he needed to be because what I saw this group of people was just like collective trauma that none of them had dealt with. Like they just all are trying to survive. So therefore, yeah. if someone's trying to survive, they're not dealing with the trauma that they just all went through, which is like that 99% of the world died, including – and that was all people people loved. So everybody mm-hmm. that was living in this city all had massive like connections of their lives. Personal killed. casualties – that happened yeah. yeah and so that's what i'm trying to think of when i think of like gary oldman's character when they're not we find out his kids died that is 100 percent what happened like his kids didn't get run over by a car and he hates cars mm. now he <laughs> they died because of this flu i don't think yeah. he cares about the apes at all he just needs something to vent on well i think it's more to like that like first of all he has like there's this hope of getting this water plant going up again and all of a sudden, his scouts come back and say, we can't go up there because a bunch of apes are telling us to not come up there. And he's like, 
I don't care about these excuses. I want this done because this is this is intrinsic to our survival. So mm-hmm. like they're giving them excuses, like they're talking, and he's like, "What do you mean? Like that doesn't that don't, animals don't talk? Like I have a dog over here. He's not talking. Like mm-hmm. so, I think that's the first step. And then he was fine, but then a bunch of like literally hundreds of apes show up on his door and tell him, tell him, like, like stay out. Yeah, don't. And come he's back. just like, wait, what? What are you talking? Wait, what? Like we need to go up there. And then they finally get up there. And everything's going okay. Obviously, Kirk Acevedo is a big dick who just like causes all sorts of problems. Uh, yeah, I felt I felt I really had issues with his placement in the screenplay. But like, you need an agitator on well, both. And sides, you need an agitator. Right? And they also made him like the like. There's a reason why he not they only state a reason. He he's the guy that used to work at the waterworks and can help this hydroelectric dam project like the most. And but, that makes sense because, like, Nathan, like, you think about all the people that work at a hydro plant, and if 99.9% yeah. of the world died, we're probably only going to have, maybe, if you're lucky, have one dude who can, like, run it. And they were lucked out to have the one guy. I just wish there was, like, a scene of him doing something really important sure. in the dam. Because, yeah, yeah. like, they give a lot of action to Jason Clark's character, Malcolm. Yes. And he's more important overall to the thing, but for that window of time like he should have been the one detonating the like dynamite on oh, the blockage I, honestly or i think like one quick scene of him like s- hitting all the switches turning on all the stuff like making like testing out the valves mm-hmm. y- you're right like that would have helped out more there is to like at least like better root him in like we we don't like this guy but we needed his help yeah. like he knows the thing yeah. you know but they state that, but then they're still able to banish him later once he, like, becomes aggressive again. And That being said, shotgun. I think at that point, though, um, in the movie, they had they had figured out what they needed to. All they needed to do was clear out some of the wreckage. Yeah. And so it was like, we're done with him. We can actually throw him to the side. And then that's when Caesar allows the apes to pitch in and help out type of thing. Mm-hmm. So anyways, so let's get into a little bit into the, to the plot for this one. So yeah. the movie opens, Caesar... And the apes are hunting. And we kind of right off the bat establish some relationships in this opening hunting scene. Koba and Caesar. Very cool. Like uh, Koba, Caesar is hunting with his son. Uh, they kill this elk. Um, I saw in the notes you thought the elk was poorly animated. I was like, sure, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it, that happens. Uh, there's other things that are better animated. Like the opening shot of Caesar's eyes were like, oh, that that's a real ape on screen right yeah, now. Yeah, they have this war paint on too, which looked pretty good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they they're doing this big hunt with a big herd of elk, and then a Kodiak bear shows up. Yeah, because so Caesar tells his son Blue Eyes like, "Hey, stay there, like don't go after this elk yet. I have to go investigate something." And Blue Eyes doesn't listen. He goes down to the thing, and then all of a sudden, a bear comes out, mauls Blue Eyes. Caesar has to jump down and try to save his son, but he's weaponless because the bear drops out of his hand. So he calls for Koba. Out of all the people, he calls for Koba. Calls for somebody and Koba comes running to his safety and, and, and rescues Caesar. So right off the bat, we have the sense that like Koba is a loyal like friend of Caesar who is and an able warrior. Yeah, I guess who's yeah. who's who's very much interested in the in in what they're doing as a society as apes, right? Like he's mm-hmm. all on board with it. But then, and in 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 walks a person, the the same guy that we're talking about, Kirk. Carver, and yeah, he he immediately panics and shoots uh, Rocket's son Ash, Ash in yeah. like the arm, and this yeah. sets up the conflict immediately right off the bat because Koba is like, oh wait, like they didn't even know that humans were around anymore. There's a scene conversation between 
Caesar and Maurice about how it's been two whole years, two whole winters have gone by. They haven't seen any humans. Yeah. And so in their minds, I think they think that they're safe, like they're finally free to do their own things. A human walks into the situation. And first thing this this guy does is cause like a bit of violence. And Koba kind of, I think, just clicks of like, if there's people out there, like, so for me, like the conflict is very real. There's this amazing scene between Koba and Caesar, like Caesar throughout the whole movie is, he has this great conversation with Maurice um, and where he's like, uh, no, it was it with his son. It was with his son who's well, like. Well, he has a conversation with Maurice where Maurice says like, I didn't know them like you did. Yeah. Like you like humans, but I don't really understand, but okay. Kind yeah. of thing. But and, then, yeah. then Maurice is given a chance to understand liking humans a bit with uh, Jason Clark's son, Cody yeah. Smith. Yeah. But then there's this great conversation with, uh, after Koba and uh, Caesar have a big fight about like uh, argument about what they should do with the humans. Co- Caesar's very much like, let's just leave them be. We don't need to do anything. And, and Koba's like, no, we need to go to war. Caesar like exe- exerts his power over his authority over top of Koba and Koba leaves. And his son, he says to his son, like Koba only learned hate from the, the humans. And I thought like they really did a good job following up the consequences of the previous film of mm-hmm. like that freedom doesn't always come freely. Like there are still like those traumas connect us to all the story. And I thought this whole big movie is one big story about trauma and what it does to you because Koba's trauma is humans. Like he is scarred up all over his body because he was experimented on his whole life. Yeah. No, the scene where he articulates that was probably my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, like, it's uh, great. Caesar is kind of, willing to compromise and allow uh, Malcolm and his team to go fix the dam. And he's, he's kind of getting the grasp of the situation on that. Like, okay, they'll be here for a couple days and then they'll leave. They understand that we're powerful because we showed off our army and everything. Yep. This, we can navigate this and have peace on the other side of this. But in that explanation, he refers to like, they, he says like, do human let work. the humans do their human work and then they'll be gone and then Koba just has this moment where he starts like gesturing at all of his scars and says human work this is human work yeah. and he points at all these like brutal like wounds he has from when he was a younger I was gonna say man <laughs> when he was a young bonobo yeah and uh yeah like that 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 scene really worked for me it just giving Koba like enough of a justification for doing what he wants to do like much more so than aldo which we saw in the older <laughs> films we did see it in the earlier films yeah like he he's just angry and unreasonable there's like good reasons Koba i get a i get a sense from aldo where, where aldo is a like a petulant teenager they're trying to play him up as type of thing yeah 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 um for battle of the planet of the apes um yeah i i just feel like this whole movie is all about trauma so and how it interplays and how if it's unresolved trauma it doesn't it can cause more conflict and so affects like, your decisions and well and, yeah. and it naturally affects the decisions because like so I'll, I'll just get into like so Gary Oldman we talked about his trauma we talked about Koba's trauma and then we go to Caesar's trauma and his trauma is that like here he is having to be beholden to his apes now he's like the ruler of all the apes but he secretly like and deep down loves humans he sees the goodness that can exist within humans if he mm-hmm. didn't have to play the political game that he knows he has to play, like the theater of politics, he would, I think, 100% of just let them in and like, oh, yeah, you guys go ahead and do your thing. Like, don't mess around with us, but go ahead and do your thing. And right. I think this is really punctuated at the end of the movie when Caesar's hurt and it's been Koba who shot him. 
and he has he goes back home like he goes back to his house with will and he just has this moment of like like he knows what's coming but he doesn't want to go there because he does love like this is where it started from he started out of a place of love he was loved by human first yeah so like his well, trauma like, or him kind of coming to terms with the the notion that he might have to say goodbye to humanity or something yes. like, yeah i think his trauma is that he has to leave behind the thing that he loved and grew up with like he he has no problems inherently with humans like mm-hmm. he knows that jason clark is a good person. Like he has that scene where they sh- they say trust to each other and they trust each other. And even when bad things happen after that point, you can see that Caesar doesn't like he knows. Like so, for example, they say trust to each other. Jason has to go off and and find other humans, and he finds Jason Gary Oldman setting up bombs, and then the bombs end up going off. You don't have the scene where Caesar's like, "You what betrayed you me." Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He like he trusts him. Like he knows something. He went- knew he wouldn't have like knowingly done that or anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's kind of like the the relationships we saw in like I'm gonna say battle again, mm-hmm. but it's like a less hopeful version of those events. Like it's like in that movie, there's like the notion that they could navigate this and work together. Yes, like here that unfortunately like seems to be doomed. Well, is, and I think kinda... I think the difference is where the placement in the in each saga. So like battle is the end of the five movie saga. Like they were finishing it off. Yeah. The yeah. hope is that that humans can figure it out and with with apes. Mm-hmm. This is now your dark middle chapter. Yeah, your dark middle chapter. We're like cuz at the end of the, the last scene is literally C- Caesar who's just defeated Koba and, and taken back Rain and he knows humans are coming to fight them. And he's yeah. like this is a fight I don't want but I have to fight it cuz I'm beholden to my family, to like my tribe, to my people and they're going to come and try to kill us so I have to fight it. And he just yeah. seems so. You're right. I, I I think you're right. This movie is like joy. I, I joyless isn't I, the right word for me, but it is definitely darker. But I think mm-hmm. it's because like discrimination, hate, and people like and war and violence are not good things. Like they're not fun things inherently. I think I think my issue with it is it's just the tone switch from the last movie was like one of my favorite things about it because we just watched like all the previous ones and the series is definitely like apocalyptic fiction you know like it's about society collapsing and changing and kind of sad dark ways like a lot of these movies have had really down endings yes you know and rise was like the one that had this kind of weird like triumph arc where it's like oh they broke out and did it and now it's like well yeah but that's going to lead to conflicts with humans and that's what we have to concern yeah, ourselves with. I now. think you got to change the angle on this one a little bit. Cause you're right for apes. It led them to break out and, and find their freedom. But the movie literally ends with the spreading of the virus. I know, but I think in a, like I, I didn't care about that. Like I, 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 I was, I, was I agree with you. With I don't that. think you're, I don't think you're supposed to care about the humans dying in this franchise. But I think what, what this is saying is like that, like conflict between humans and apes like it's it's very similar within it's like this is all one giant, giant al- analogy for conflicts within us right like it's mm. th- there's not much actually separating us from each other just like there's not much separating Jason Clark from Caesar uh but that conflict is still something you have to move through to eventually get to hopefully get to the other side so like it's almost like if they blew up battle uh, to be two movies instead of one, and this movie stopped midway through, where the army's coming from the big city. 
type of thing. Right. Like it, it would conclude after like a, an initial skirmish with the colony that they discovered yes. or something. Yes. Yes. And then it's like, oh, but they called in for reinforcements, now, and that's going to be the thing. I did notice in your notes that you said that this they they directly lead into each other. They don't. There's many years that go by between these two movies. Between two and three? Yes. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was like, we just phoned Woody Harrelson, get ready for No, Woody Harrelson knows about them, but you got to remember in... So, you might not remember this from War. War is also about humans fighting each other. Okay, different clan, cults and clans. Yeah, because Woody is literally running a military cult. Yeah. Okay. And so I think this intelligence happens, and the humans start fighting with each other more, and then they forget about the apes, but Woody doesn't because he's Woody. And then years down the line, he's able to track them down and oh, and weird. Hunt them. Okay. So I. I- I assumed it was a direct tee-up, but it, no, it had I assumed, been some years between them. Yeah, yeah, I assumed too, but but all all three of these have been like jumps in like I didn't I think Matt Reeves didn't want to be beholden to any ideas. He wanted the idea of each of individual film to become its own thing, like of the mm-hmm. second and third. So this one this one isn't beholden to what happened in the previous film because ten years have gone by and they're like set up a new normal. And then the yeah. next one will be there's another new normal after this one, even more so. Okay. Um, so I don't think it's like because there's a I don't know if you stayed to the end of the credits. There's audio that plays. Over I heard the credits. there was like an audio clue. I I did leave it on, but I just missed it. I guess. Okay. I, didn't, I was reading more about like oh, it was shot in this forest in BC or something. No, uh, it's so there's a a few sounds of chimps and then some rubble moving and then some breathing. Mm-hmm. And so they inserted it. The producers inserted it because even though Matt Reeves didn't want this, the producers inserted it to be like. Hey, we really like Koba. We don't want him to go anywhere. It kind of seems crazy that we killed our Darth Vader in the second movie and didn't let him come back, you know? Uh-huh. But then Matt Reeves was like, here's the thing. Like, we got him to fall really far. Like, he's not going to... If he survived, there's nobody in the audience that's going to be like, that's believable. Like, Or just like, why didn't uh, Ash survive? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Or whatever>. yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, well, that was marble, not concrete. <laughs> yeah that's, that's what my that, and it wasn't like exactly <laughs> yeah. like it and even even in kobas there's like all the debris too so it's like he's falling not just on car he's falling on rebar and like rebar and, and all yeah, this stuff so it's, it's like pipes yeah. yeah anyway so they decided to like no we need to move on and we need to have a different villain and then they that's why they went back to a human villain for the third one it's because mm-hmm. they they'd done i think they were also like i think what what matt wanted was it to like they're not to be conflict between apes anymore like that, that they can. That Koba was the last thing of like, all of them woke up from this incident with Koba, and we're like, we can't do this anymore. We have to be with each other. Like there can't be this divide because they saw what happens under a different version of uh, reality. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's something to like. There's sort of a schism amongst the apes about like those that were treated badly by humans and those that weren't. Yep. Uh, so. Or, 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 or a mix of like those at least are, ones that have come to like sympathize with Caesar's perspective. Exactly. I was about to say, like I was like, Maurice. there's yeah. some that like that would have been fine with humans generally, but there's a lot that just believed and followed like Caesar that knew that like this is our leader. And then there's some that kind of kept to like Koba's closest friends kind of became his lieutenants or his like uh, captains in his new regime type mm-hmm. of thing. And yeah, like Koba is basically as soon as humans re-enter the mix, he's no longer comfortable with just sitting idly and wants to do something about it. 
and starts like scouting out the humans and looking at like stealing some guns and well even right at the beginning like so i i forgot one thing i did forget was uh the dominoes that they set up for koba's turn because i forgot that like i thought it was pretty quickly in my brain going into this movie i thought it was pretty quickly that koba would turn on caesar but it wasn't like he the first time he went to san francisco he went to go and get proof so he could convince caesar to go to war type of thing well, there's sort of two, like, I think he's part of the scouting party that Caesar sends to see what that was about with this little mission of humans that came yeah, up Yeah, he went hunting. He said he, he said he, he went, hunt. no, no, what happened was, is uh, Caesar's like, where is Koba? Because there's the, when the humans there, show up. There's two, there's two moments that, like, there's that first one where it's like, the humans have like a city and it's just over here across yes. the bridge. Oh, Okay. And then later he like surreptitiously goes hunting with his buddies. Yeah, to but they're go, actually further investigating the humans. Yeah, and yeah. to go find proof, and they found that the humans had a huge stockpile of guns, arsenal that they're they're moving to yeah. get ready for. And conflict. so yeah. Koba goes back to Caesar and says, "Hey, like we need to go to war because like they're no, going to no, move th- for us." He that that was sort of another duplicitous thing he does. He goes back with the intention of telling him about the guns and the armory and everything. Uh but that conflict happens at the dam where he like sees them working with the humans and everything. Like he goes to Caesar's son Blue Eyes and says like, "Where's your father? I need to tell him something important." Oh, he's hanging out with the humans. And then he kind of hates that yes. you know and that's where they get into this like scrap where he's gonna attack the humans and then caesar beats him up yes. and is choking him out and then he has his moment where he kind of like internally i guess decides caesar cannot be trusted about this he likes humans too much i'm gonna not tell him about the guns and yes. his friends ask him like you didn't tell him and it's like and neither will you. Yeah. I remember this moment kind of accidentally because the Disney plus subtitles like glitched out. Uh, <laughs> and like, it was like, what? Like he's clearly said something to his buddy and I had to roll it back and then it appeared. Gotcha. Uh, I think it was like, uh, Brittany had a theory as to why they're like this. Like in theaters, surely much of this movie had subtitles. It's, it's hard years for me. It's, it's yeah. hard coded on those prints. But it's not actually hardcore. They so it used to be back in the day they would have like they would actually physically print on film on subtitles the, film, the words. Yeah, yeah. But now in digital world they don't do that because then they they'll send like a theater in a different country like here's the movie and then here's the subtitle track to play with the movie. Yeah, kind of what you have on your computer. Like if yeah. when I play so movie, the the it was like black kind of printing over it this time, which was a little. Oh, weird. Okay, mine mine was uh, I got I have the Blu-ray and mine was very like the theaters I remember like the movie like it was like a a weird light like yellow brownish color was my printing. yeah it sort of sucks because I feel like font choice and stuff would have been a creative decision and yes. it's it's robbed of that it's just kind of software telling you the story <laughs> well and that's like. that's like that's the downside of streaming now is because disney has so many movies they can't oh we can't have this like little fine touch to all of them and that's why you only have one cut of conquest one and battle source file that you're then providing to everybody yeah and like yeah. there's no like i i want to get to the world where like disney plus or netflix have like hey like do you want to see apocalypse now or do you want to see apocalypse now redux like you can click mm-hmm. on the file and you can see the different versions but it's like, no, here's just the most popular one. This is what you get to watch. Like, you don't have a choice about it. Anymore. Yeah. So, 
But um, oh, that happened with us on our pitch black episode. It yes. was just like I was trying to find the real deal. And it's like the only one digitally is director's cut. So well, that's like, I think that's the only one that David now has been like he re- pushing like, forward. Yeah, like that's the only one that like they're like, oh, this is the thing. So now to find the theatrical cut, the one we saw in theaters, is hard to do. Not impossible, but it's like physical media you have to go hunt down. Type yeah. Of thing. Um. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah, Koba. He goes to this thing, and actually, I really found that scene to be kind of geniusly written because, like, uh, I don't I see Koba as a person who who's pretty reasonable. He does like Caesar, and here he is in a situation where he's like, I don't understand Caesar at all. And then, how can you create this actual br- like? There's a bridge between them still throughout this whole thing, this conflict. And mm-hmm. then, how do we destroy this bridge? And it's Koba tries to attack the humans that are there under, like, explicitly there under Caesar's, like, allowance. And then Caesar has to stop him, like, physically. Right, and that's after the scene where, like, Carver had a shotgun still and, like, was in threatening uh, And Koba doesn't even know son. about this. Yeah. Yeah. Because Koba wasn't I, that's there the for thing. the thing. I feel like he speaks like he did know about it, and I think that's because Blue Eyes told him. Yeah, I feel like somebody told him. He definitely is, he's aware that these, that, like, these humans are no different. He's he's painting a broad brush though, right? Because it's just the one that Caesar sees. It's only the one that's causing problems. But right, Koba. I mean Caesar's relationship with his oldest son is also like part being exploited, I guess, by Koba yes. to try to kind of uh, turn him against him. Or like, don't you see your father is blind to this? Like well, he doesn't understand that opening scene with Caesar and his son is important because Caesar, after the bears killed by Koba, instead of asking his son how he is, Caesar was like, "You have to listen." Like, he kind of chastised him for not right. being smarter. And, like, you kind of have the sense that Blue Eyes is going through, like, his teenage rebellion phase where he's like, maybe my dad isn't the hot, like, person. Well, and even just more fundamentally, like, Koba came to the rescue. Like, his father failed to save him. Yeah. Like, oh, he, he stood there and was, like, trying to keep the bear away, but he wasn't able to get them out of that pickle. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and then yeah. Blue Eyes, like, sees. Blue Eyes also never grew up with humans like Caesar did. So all he's seen with him is his friend got shot because it was Ash as his friend. Yeah. And then it was his friend that got shot for not doing anything other than just being terrified that they ran into a human. So, yeah, you totally get another one is Blue Eyes' story turn. So anyways, Koba, Caesar beats up Koba in front of the humans. And humi- like it's not just like – it's not just Koba being beaten up, but it's the fact that it was like Caesar – In front of his friends. And, in, fr- in front yeah. of his friends, but also in front of humans and by – Caesar protecting humans to do this. Yeah. I think that that's the moment Koba, like in his brain is like, I'm going to plot now. Like I have to, like he sided with them. So that's it. Yeah. 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 Like I have to be the one that leads it. And then he starts this, uh, scheme to acquire guns to make it look like Caesar is that the tribes being attacked by humans and that Caesar is shot and killed in Koba's mind mm-hmm. by, uh, humans. I had some issues with the staging of the assassination attempt. Like, I felt that scene was working in a sort of more conspiratorial direction where it's like, I'm going to use, like, Carver's lighter to start this fire, and I'm going to kind of, like, implicate the humans, cause this, and try to stir favor against them or whatever. But then he shoots Caesar seconds later. Yes. Like, and no one else sees it happen, but Caesar has to see it happen to know the betrayal took place kind yes. of thing. You like, know? it's very so. it's very similar, like, very similar to the Hamlet. Like, this is the Hamlet part of the story. Except 
in Hamlet and Lion King, that happens like in secret with no one around, like the poisoning or the like the trampling of Mufasa. Yes, <laughs> you know. Well, the like, difference it's like, the difference in no those stories is yeah. Mufasa and Hamlet's dad both live. Like they're the main characters. Like Mufasa's the main character. Like because Caesar's the Simba one lives. No, no, I know, but in this, the reason why this isn't quite Hamlet or Lord Lion oh, King sure, sure. is that it's Blue Eyes doesn't then become like the new mantle. It's like no Caesar lives. I mean, in Hamlet, it's like it would be like Caesar's ghost comes back and talks to Blue Eyes and be like, "Koba killed me. Yeah, you need to do something exactly. about that." <laughs> yeah, and it would be about Blue Eyes. Yeah, so this is what I mean. But, like, so it's not, it's not that quite. But there is like, yeah, Caesar needs to see who his actual betrayer is. But then Koba leaves the gun to be found and Carver's mm. hat next to it. So it does again imply that Carver uh but the apes I don't think he was worried about like the fact finding mission that the apes would go on. Yeah, like some <laughs> ape detective like Maurice puts on a hat and goes like, hmm, this he puts is on, a no, human you imagine lighter. like do you imagine him in like I feel like Maurice out of all of them would do this, but him in a deer hunter and then pulls yeah. out his pipe and he's just like <laughs> All right, let's get to work. Like, let's study the scene of the fire. Mm, yeah. Humans set this fire. I don't like that, yeah. but something's wrong. But but how did the how did Carver get from over here to that branch? That seems pretty precarious for a human. Like, nobody's I was asking. sort of confused what Carver was doing anyway, because like they have this scene where they successfully reactivate the the dam and power comes back on. Yes. Uh, and he had been sent away at this point, but he's still waiting in a vehicle sort of nearby. Yeah, the the dude, they put him in the vehicle outside of the kingdom, like outside of the forest, and then right. he took the key. Oh, okay. So it's like, we're going to need this vehicle to get back, but you need to go sit in your room kind yes. of thing? Like, okay, we'll, and that's okay. why he said, I'll see you tomorrow. Like, we'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Because like, just, they just kicked him out of the forest like, it was just like why is carver here why wouldn't he drive back it's essentially the same thing as like somebody bringing you to the edge of the like the border and just putting you on the other side of the border and be like okay you're detained now or yes or something, something like that uh, but okay, yeah he okay. took the key out of the ignition it's a uh, not something you see it's a foley you hear ah. he takes the key out of the ignition and then he says like like sit your butt down we'll see you tomorrow and then leaves so okay, carver okay. just has to sit out and wait out for the humans to come the next day and then uh, he gets killed by Koba. <laughs> and then he gets so. killed by Koba. In a pretty solid... I was happy to see Carver go, so... Uh, I was fine with that. Right. I mean, this movie's painted him as just a total dirtbag, so... <laughs> but I mean, fine. like... I don't and then know. it's sort of a fun horror scene where he's, like, lighting a cigar, and it's, like, illuminating Koba's face yes. at his window. It's like, ooh! And then he gets ganked, so... Yeah. No, yeah. I, I don't know, man. Like, there's... It's... There's this uh, level of this that he is... A little bit of this, like, analogy of the world we live in today where there's people out there that are just like, like, I'm not going to get vaccinated because of X, Y, Z. Or I'm my just body. obstinate and angry. And like, because... I'm, and I'm not going to be reasonable. I'm not going to listen to facts when you tell me, like, oh, it came from a lab in Genesis in San Francisco. No, it's an ape flu. Like, you don't understand. It's called the simian flu. Like, the apes did this to us. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's stuff like that. It's like, I don't know, man. I just, there's a part of me that's like... I really, I literally saw a video the other day of this guy being interviewed who was like, are you getting vaccinated? He's like, no, no, no. My body, my choice. And the guy's like, oh, okay, cool, cool. So what do you think about abortion? He's like, oh, we should outlaw abortion. And I was like, what did you just say? You just said my body, my choice. And now you're saying a dude is saying, I, I've yeah. seen that like articulated in text and things, but like if a person literally said that with a divide in their mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. I feel like that's what Carver represents is like, like, 
people that are not clever thinkers. They're just like, this is what the way the world is. Don't you can't tell me otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that's who Carver represents. And like uh, the one bad side of a pandemic or a flu or a, a apocalyptic situation is like the flu, like this simian flu doesn't take out everybody that we don't like. It takes out everybody equally. And so there's going to be Carvers in the new world. Yeah. So, yeah. One out of every 500 people, <laughs> but it could be, it could be a dirtbag. <laughs> so anyways. Yeah. So yeah. So Koba kills, like kills Caesar. Caesar falls off the cliff. Eventually Jason Clark and them are, they're actually visiting because they, they actually helped out uh, Caesar's wife, Cornelia, um, who was not feeling well after giving birth to a new son. And mm-hmm. Carrie Russell showed up, was able to give her some quick medicine to help with a, Look like some a antibiotics and stuff yeah yeah, with an infection and then yeah so they find caesar uh near dead at the bottom of this mountain and koba has successfully mo- mobilized the apes to go into town and start killing humans and for me like uh koba's decisions here so okay like there's a big jump here that happens from koba at the beginning of the movie to koba throwing ash off the off of the stairs in the city hall yeah. I, I saw this progression happen to Koba start happening at the beginning of this war. Because there's this scene right at the beginning where he doesn't hurt an ape, but he essentially steps over an ape to pick up his gun to go and kill the humans. And like... I thought uh, that was later. No, it's like in the, in the it's tower. In, no, it's in the early battle. There's like literally a scene where he's riding on a horse with two guns. like firing Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. That second gun he grabbed from an ape that just got hit. Like not hurt, not killed, but just hit. And he just ripped it out of his hands and went after okay. the humans. And so it starts to show this like psyche change that we do see in the world. It's a basic psychology of like people get caught up with fear and then they start making like decisions that are goes sometimes against like mob mentality that goes against their like higher thinking mm-hmm. and Koba becomes so singular in his focus of like, I need to kill these humans, these people that hurt me that he doesn't, he for- starts forgetting the whole point that Caesar was trying to get at was like, Hey, at the end of the day, like I don't want war because war means that our friends are going to die. Right. Yeah. It's like, how many apes will we lose if we do that? Like, yeah, there's, there's a political scene, I guess, where it's like, no, I don't doubt we could win, but like how many apes is worth that? cost like how you know yeah it's it's, it's caesar it's caesar yeah. weighing the individual life like of the people he knows and loves over top of this conflict that he's like maybe we can avoid it because mm-hmm. koba's just not willing to even engage in the conversation to try to avoid it he just like he wants it to happen yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so he needs to vent that anger <laughs> onto <laughs> humans yes yeah so uh, and then he has he has that like i remember this scene like in a different way when i watched it the first time it plays better to me now like there's these kind of two there's two scenes with these guys there's these kind of oafish soldier guys <laughs> yes uh where they come across uh uh koba during his initial scouting mission and say like hey get out here you monkey and then he kind of plays an ape like he plays like them. yeah he plays like dumb circus ape he plays like dunson checks in for them or yes. whatever like he he does a little like blowing his person his lips and making farting sounds and like big, rolling big around grin, and, moving his arms wide and like asking yeah. for treat being very non-threatening yeah yeah Low- lowers their guard and then leaves 
And then later that pays off with him doing it again, but then like playing around with one of their guns. Yes. And then has this turn where he just smokes both of them. Yes. And it, it's just like, like, well, no, no, he cleverly, kinda... this is like one of the things I really like about that scene. Cause he's playing with this gun and then he kills the guy who still has the gun because he has the gun of the other guy. Yeah. And then yeah. he allows that guy to like realize Freak what's out. happening. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, so this that scene played better for you this time, the second one? Yeah, I remember it happening too fast, and I missed the note that like those guys were also drunk. <laughs> yes. Uh, they've been sitting there drinking like Black Label or something for a bit, and then Koba takes advantage of that situation while they're not sharp. You yes, know? yes. So, yeah, and then it, it's a fun kind of like seeing his face change from like the goofy face he was doing to like, I'm gonna murder you yes i hate you guys like it kind of wordlessly had a sinister edge to it well even just uh, like how he used the gun like they're they're not saying like these apes are proficient like i would say this is like stormtrooper level quality of shooting guns mm-hmm. uh but like koba's doing it better with like if you pull this trigger and i just move it you're probably gonna get hit and that's yeah, exactly what yeah. happens um uh, I saw in the notes that you got grumpy about how many bullets Koba always has in his gun. Later, later, it's like he has some sort of extended mag or something. Like it's just crazy how many bullets he has in the tower shootout. Yes, yes, yeah. I, like, I just, I, I mean, I'm of the mindset. Like, I, I know there's this episode of MythBusters where they take an eight, like one of these like M6 rifles type of thing, mm-hmm. like that classic military thing, and they just shoot it full tilt like they do in the movie, and it's like five seconds. It's yeah. five seconds. It's like, empty. that was 30 bullets. It's gone. Yeah. And it's like, and you're like okay. Oh, okay. Like, so it's just like, I don't want my movies to have that. Like, I like, mm-hmm. okay. One of the things I really like about John Wick, and we talked about John Wick before this episode, because we were talking about Matrix. One thing I really like about John Wick is they actually keep track of bullets. Like they, like, cause they're using a lot of handguns. They're like, you can watch them to keep track of bullets and he'll often change his chamber before he's done. And you'll see a bullet still in the chamber leaving. Cause he's going to need more. Yes. Kind of thing. Yeah. Type yeah. of thing. I don't know. There's stuff like, like John Wick does a good job of keeping track of bullet. Uh, Cause there's not a lot of M6 like machine gun, like sub submachine rifles being used in those movies, but they mm-hmm. keep track of bullets pretty well. But yeah, I, I don't, we grew up in a culture where it was like, like even the Rambo gum gun. What is it called? The, uh, what's the Rambo is gun? It- is it not an M16? Uh, that's what, sorry. I'm thinking I might have got that one mixed up. So that, that M- M16, in okay. real life, that chamber, like that long string of bullets, way faster than the movie shows. <laughs> like way faster. Oh, no. Especially in two when he's like panning around, yeah. shouting and like, and and he like, like shoots up in the air a couple times. And I'm just like, guys, like, I know these are infinite. I have this so is how you can tell. Bullets I can waste. Exactly. <laughs> this is, I yeah. can tell he's got infinite bullets. But yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, that sure that happens in that scene but like it there's a there's a bit did, of like did you did you like the night battle scene that they do like the dual wielding scene we're talking about really oh like, oh yeah 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 uh, i did actually quite a bit like it i thought i thought there was an earthiness to that scene where like real consequences were being laid out for the apes immediately being like like yes you guys are many in numbers but this is what exactly what caesar saw like yes we would win but he knows what a gun is and we have sticks. Mm-hmm. And like, there's way less humans fighting them, but they are positioned well and they have a uh, tank and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I thought the, I thought they did a really good job of keeping the camera on ground level where you were seeing apes being killed like horrifically. 
So I thought that that weight brought me. But then every yeah. time what they would do cleverly, they would have the camera on angle on that level. But then anytime we were focusing on Koba, we moved up higher because he was always on top of a horse or on top of a tank. And he stopped seeing the ground level, like the devastation that's being caused by this war. He's only seeing what's happening on the other side, which is I'm killing humans. So that works out. Mm-hmm. So and then he does this kind of like reckless charge with two guns and turns the tide a little bit. Yeah, I guess. there's that's a moment where it's like that is like Buck jumping to the helicopter for me. I'm just like it looks cool. Mm-hmm. So I'm like okay with cool things looking cool. Him, I think part of the beats of the war scene I found like just annoyed me was like I felt it was consciously evoking Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> Sometimes like oh, there's a scene okay. where like a gorilla is kind of dragging a wounded ape. And it's sort of the, like, the cacophonous, like, my ears just got blown out by an explosion kind of moment where he's, like, surveying the scene and seeing, like, horror, 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 except it's, like, PG-13 ape horror (laughs) instead of horror. Sure. So it was just, like, I don't, like, just, I don't know why this needs to look like that. Like, just let's get going. Like, there's the tank rotating scene with, like, the mounted camera. Yep that surveys a lot of business going on around it in a kind of like clever way. But, but I, I, I don't know. I make the argument that I, I, I know you, that saving private Ryan does this, but I think the reason why Spielberg made that choice to do that was just to show the audience, like this is what war is like often glorified in war films. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of shown in a majestic way, but Spielberg kind of took different angles like in a, t- in a classic war film from like the movies he grew up in watching like, like the Sergeant 50s and 60s, York or something yeah, yeah it would be like we would follow the main character the whole time who doesn't die and so all the other people that are here dying would be off screen or off to the corners and stuff like that whereas like spielberg was like i'm going to show you the whole thing and you're going to see how horrific it is so i don't think he he might be he might be specifically evoking same private ryan but i think what he's just evoking is like war chaos war and... sucks and it's like there's humanity even within these apes because, yeah, that gorilla's not fighting. He's literally just trying to save his, like, his friends, like, from dying, being shot with, like, yeah. I, I I wish gorillas were more prominent in this. Like, I sure. enjoyed that they were guarding the gate. Uh, like, they're the front line yep. for the ape city, kind of. Like, when uh, Malcolm returns, he encounters, like, ten gorillas. Yes. Uh, but then it's just like, all right easily apprehended bring him in to like explain himself and then we just don't really get a coordinated gorilla effort in this one no you're right and orangutan wise too like you get maurice teaching school and everything and having some interactions about comic books with uh alexander is that the character's name cody smith mcphee's character yeah uh but there's just no other orangutans to be seen like in most of the large-scale stuff yeah, this movie this movie very clearly wants to resolve conflicts within the characters already created from the previous film. Yeah. So the only new I, characters I felt even Rocket, who is ostensibly kind of important because his son got killed or well hurt and then killed. Yes. Uh, I don't really remember a big Rocket scene. No, there isn't a big Rocket scene in this one. I think again they made choices because the next movie Rocket does get a lot more stuff in the next movie to do. Okay. Um. But yeah, the only two new characters that they introduce properly in this film is Blue Eyes and Ash, uh, the kids of two prominent people. Um, mm-hmm. But rather, they- and then Cornelia at least has some moments. But I like for it being Judy Greer, I thought it was weird that she doesn't really get a big scene. Like even like Lisa or something, where like maybe she would be the voice of caution, yes, or something like have some impact on things. Yeah, it seemed like uh, Lisa's. I mean, sorry, Cornelia's one 
job in this movie is to be, be sick. sick and then be another reason for Caesar to trust humans because he personally they came through for him. Yeah, on that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that there's not problems. I don't think this movie is perfect, but I don't think any of the these three movies are perfect. I, even Last Rise, I still had issue with kind of like the speediness of setting up some of the stuff at the beginning because mm-hmm. I really enjoy the 30 minutes on mark. But up to the 30 minutes, I was like, oh, this is a big highlight reel of people. And I felt humans in both movies make not smart decisions, but I felt like humans in this movie make more logical, not logical, but more reasonable to their characters' stories, decisions. Whereas Will makes decisions in the last movie that I'm like, what What are you doing, man? Like, you forgot about this ape that's essentially your son. You just, well, he's like, dooming society, the, you know. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I just, I, I, I think humans are, like, I think you're right. Like, that Dreyfus isn't a great character, but, like, I at least understand a bit of what he's there for. I think, I think the misfortune of Dreyfus is that he was cast as Gary Oldman was cast in his role. Like, give me a, a Jobo nobody. Because that's, Gary- that's kind of the thing. Like, it, since it's, like, a guy who's going to win a Best Actor Oscar in a couple years, like, it just seems weird that he's just kind of this side character. Like, yes. he, he's not especially important or interesting. That's what I mean. Like, I feel like, give me a mid-tier somebody who I recognize, but is never, like, a leading person, a person who's a best actor in a, in a, in a field. And mm-hmm. I think that would have been better suited to the character than putting Gary Oldman in the movie, who is, like, a bigger, well-known name. Type of well, thing. he, yeah, like I had more expectations for him to do something crazy, and it's just like, no, I just kind of co-founded this colony and have a more negative attitude towards apes. Like his big moment is when he blows up the tower, anyway. Yes, uh, but yeah, that that scene I felt was weird in that, like, I guess the character Malcolm knows enough about his compatriot that he can't reason with him, but I kind of wish he tried. <laughs> Yeah, like, I I I agree with you on that one. Like that's the another like he sneaks over, grabs a gun, and goes, "Listen, you have to stop what you're doing." And it's like, "Whoa, you just escalated this to like nine point seven, like immediately." Like there wasn't even a okay. I know this is gonna be hard to deal with, but the apes have different leaders, and one of them I is know. good. And I, I, I kind of made a I made a snide comment at the beginning of the podcast that like like Jason Clark wouldn't get into the geopolitical landscape of the ape colony. How there's two leaders and there's an inner fight. He mm-hmm. should have, though. He should have at least, like... Or just a little... Like, like uh, literally, like, that scene could have been... It could have been something, because there's a cut midway through that scene that goes back to the apes. It literally could just be, like, Jason Clark being like, hey, like, they gotta figure it out. Here's what's happening. And then we cut away. And then he come and back. And then cut back, and it, it did not work. And, and Gary Oldman's like, sold. what are you talking about? They're just animals again. Like, he just doesn't believe that there could be this type of power struggle happening type of mm-hmm. thing and that would make sense to his character because early in the movie when they said they heard him speak they're like no you didn't like of course you didn't apes don't speak and then so but then they came to his city and spoke to him i know but it's like <laughs> just because you have like it's confirmation bias just because you have something confirmed to you doesn't mean you you'll fully believe the whole picture type or of thing something i ever, mean whatever we we saw some of that in the previous like the original five yes where it's like I am head of this commission and I was just hearing Cornelius and Zira speak, but maybe they're trained parrots or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, like, I think that's like, but I think that's like, that's a reasonable human um, defense mechanism or, or like just a reasonable human response, like and reasonable, not meaning right, but mean like that people would respond that way. Like we got to rationalize that. It's yes. too impossible. There's this doesn't fit within my worldview. Like, have you ever seen the documentary about flat earthers? And it's like, 
There's they multiple times, Nathan, they get proven wrong with the science that they're doing, and it doesn't because it doesn't confirm their bias. They can't. They, they're like, oh, something's wrong with the science we're doing. Like, like something's oh, this instrument must be faulty broken. or something. There's literally yeah. a scene where they're shooting a giant laser across like uh, two kilometers, and they're like, okay, if this Earth's flat, you're gonna hold that board up exactly five feet from the ground, and it's gonna be right and hit it. They turn the laser beam on, the board's there, and it's not being lit up. And they're like, whoa, what's going on? Is the something's going on? And they're like, well, why don't we try to like because we're on an angle, if you lift it up to 15 feet, that's where the laser will be because the Earth's on a curvature. Mm-hmm. And they literally lift it up and the beam hits it. And then they're say, they say, oh, the laser must be broken. <laughs> yeah. Like, like just not seeing what's in front of your that's face. That's what confirmation bias is. Like they yeah. can't grasp the depth of the reality because it just goes so against what they, they believe this world to be. So mm-hmm. for many people, they believe so fundamentally that animals can't talk and they can't organize and they can't have their own political structures. Like or tool use even yeah. and whatnot. Language That's, ability. Exactly. Yeah. All of those things. And so when if you just show up and just tell them what you saw, they'd be like, you're lying or you don't understand what happens. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's my point. Like it's I, I'm, I'm not saying Dreyfus is a good written character, but I do know that there yeah. are people like him in the world. That's the thing. I'm not really sure like where they should reallocate the time resources they have to like better be what I want it to be. Sure. It's like I think Koba's story is is great. Like that that's all has enough time to grow into what it does. Yes. Like I was never like, why would he do that? It's like, no, that they established that he was mad about this and this and whatnot. This was gonna happen. But I think it's just kind of some of the decisions about what they decide to push to the edges of what's important. Like I was would prefer more time with some of the characters sure. established last movie. Yep. Or And that is like I think what Matt Reeves does in the second in the third movie because you you get exactly that because it's like it's Caesar on the road with Rocket and Maurice. Yeah. On horseback. And then I, I seem to recall like Steve Zahn kinda is this relief character I want. Yeah, he's Bad Ape. He plays yeah. a character called Bad Ape and he he does bring in a bit of that humor that that is needed in but I mean, I mean, I look at or look at like Empire Strikes Back, and the the only comic relief is near the beginning of the movie between Han Solo and Princess Leia, or like C three PO. Yeah, and even that's like kind of. Except you know what? In that movie too, he's like broken for part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like exactly. they don't even have him doing and it's, things exactly. And then the third movie, like, I'm because I'm just thinking of the most classic trilogy of all time. The third movie is that's when you get Ewoks. Like that's when you mm-hmm. get a lot of like kid. Like, we can't be this dark and despairful this entire time. I kind of mm-hmm. see War as, like, they put in Bad Ape to because it's not the Dark Middle chapter. There's a bit of, like, upswing here. So, yeah. Anyways. Dark um, Middle chapters. I don't know. <laughs> dark Middle chapters, they're interesting beasts on their own. I will say that. I Just watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy again and the Hobbit trilogy, I don't understand anybody who says Desolation of Smog is the best of the three because it's just... Nothing happens. It's so... like it's the least least is resolved. Like yeah. I think I think they just I, say they I like, like Back smog. to the Future Two, but it doesn't resolve itself. No, so no, it's like and a weird. I guarantee movie. you, you like Back to the Future Two because of the weird future stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's like it has a fun environment to play around in, but then it like once you get to the final minutes, you're just like, oh yeah, like there's a whole another movie before you get the end of this story. Really, <laughs> exactly. Like yeah, yeah. And that's like, and to be fair, Back to the Future and the Matrix movies, they're kind of like, they have movies, the first movies are all done in one movies that were then later turned into trilogies. 
No, they literally end, they both end with to be concluded. So it's like you I know. better have roped in for four and a I know. half hours. I, d- I don't want to believe that Back to the Future had this idea of ending with a Western in the third film, like ever. And it took so long to get to screen because I just want to be like, like, no, that's what you do. Like Back to the Future is like a done in one, but it says to be concluded because they're going on many adventures that they'll continue on cartoon shows or a TV mm-hmm. show or something. But I don't want to think that like four years, five years later, they came out with like this ending trilogy and it's like what we got. Because that third I, movie, I don't know. I like that movie, but we'll talk about that maybe. Another time. I have a question that could lead to it. Okay. Um. Um, anyways, so yeah, Dark Middle chapters, are, like they're necessary. I like, I really like Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back is an amazing movie, but like the emotional arc of that story comes to a conclusion in Return of the Jedi. I don't understand why that's not everyone's favorite. I know there's stuff that people don't like in it, but like they really nail Luke and Vader's storyline in that film. Maybe it's just, like, that movie has, like, a weird break in it where it's, like, the first 40 minutes is resolving Empire. That's, that's a great And then it's, like, sequence, and now though. a total pivot into a completely I know, different thing. I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying, but I really like that ending, like, that first 40 minutes. Yeah, but it's just, like, and now we're going to have, like, a map and an exposition dump to explain <laughs> why there's still 80 minutes left in yes. this movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, we like, know why there is, because Darth Vader's still out there in the world, Palpatine's yeah. with him, and it's the the new Death Star, like, the secret real Death Star that was the Right. I mean, it's dump. fun, but it, it also, like, does that thing where it's just, like, ah, uh, there's another one, yeah. and we got to blow it up, too. Yeah. Which, <laughs> you know? hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you on all those things. But what came out of it was the Death Star run in return is better than the original one. No, it's like we finally get to like do this bigger and crazier. And then the way they're intercutting it with like a land battle and a lightsaber fight is just like a, 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 you know, what embarrassment of riches or something. (laughs) There's just so much going on. That's great. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, my point is like the middle dark middle chapters. I'm saying that this is my favorite. I don't I can't tell you why. But, like, with Desolation of Smog and Two Towers, it's, like, this is literally, like, nothing. Frodo's story is nothing in Two Towers, by the way. He literally just meets Smeagol. And then mm-hmm. Smeagol has his arc in that first, in that second movie. Frodo is literally starts the movie walking and he ends the movie walking. He's just more despairful by the end. And I, uh, they're ostensibly closer to their destination. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but, but there's yeah, no yeah. arc that happens in that movie for them. The arc is smartfully, smart actually put on uh, Gollum, which I thought that was actually pretty clever move mm-hmm. on talk on uh, also andy circus so. yes so yeah. anyways uh dark middle chapter you're right it's probably has a lot less fun things happening but i'm i'm taking for me it's like it was allowing i these... mean it's an ape drama which yes. is sort of like there's like scenes where it's like it's kind of crazy that i'm just watching two cg characters like giving meaningful looks to each other and, whatever, and not just and cg characters like they're apes like we're watching a like chimpanzee inter- interact with an orangutan. Yeah, and talking like Blue about- Eyes has a good scene with his dad. Like he, yeah. like after seeing Ash get killed, like he goes to Will's house and is like seeing, like ex- like admitting he was wrong and kind of coming to terms with like how can I help and make this work and yeah. whatever. Like there, there's moments that are just like you know you see the money. Like they they doubled the budget essentially for this and like the effects look almost flawless for a lot of it like a lot of the ape actors and action yes. looks really real some environmental yeah. things don't always work out well like you said the elk even the bear didn't look that great 
Yeah, but anytime like once they do other animals. Yeah, but, yeah. but anytime they did like, hey, there's an actor on set here with a suit on, and we we're gonna put a, an ape suit over top of them digitally, like that all worked. Like Maurice, mm-hmm. you talked about there's scenes where Maurice was just there. I was like, no, Maurice was actually there in that movie, Nathan. Like that was, like how was that not just like. Like Maurice looks so good in this movie. Like he looked. No, no. The the presence Maurice has is great, and yeah, like uh, he plays a key role in like the locked up apes and breaking mm-hmm. out of this little mini prison scenario they yeah. have and everything. So I just. But yeah, I don't know. For me, the fun was in like, like that this was just a drama now. Like that we were we're invested in Caesar as a character, and we're just gonna have. A drama, and so there's like a little bit of fun in that idea that we're watching an ape drama come out. Like my my whole introduction yeah. of like we're seeing ape Hamlet happen. That's a, like has a level of fun, but like I'm not even thinking about that because I personally am getting caught up in the drama of like I care about these characters, and these characters just happen to be apes. Mm-hmm. That's it. I th- I think this movie has like a similar thing to like we had a conversation about fan service and the Godzilla films like yeah they're sort of in that range for me where it's like this is inherently interesting to me because it's about apes but what they're deciding to do with those resources just isn't really speaking to me okay. like I wish there was a different sort of spectacle on display here or something like yeah like I know what you're saying because you're because yeah. Yeah, like their final fight in the tower, like just didn't like. There's one, maybe you know what? There's like one moment where Caesar kicks with like his foot, and it's like a hand because it punch. would be. He punches him with his foot. Yeah, he punches him with his foot, yeah. and it's like there. This whole fight should have been choreographed around that or something. Yeah. Like they should be upside down at one point. Yeah, punching I think each other I think I know what you're saying because you want a little bit more spectacle. To this like a unique spectacle to apes. Yeah. I've seen people in gun battles. I've seen people like fighting a bear. Even I saw like Alec Baldwin do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I, I want to see something I've never thought about. See, so was like, know? I I think I'm just deeply appreciating that like more than some human dramas, I care a lot about what's happening on screen right now, and they're apes. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm fully there for just the drama, and the action stuff is like kind of just like peripheral to me like i don't care like i like the look I actually like the look of the final fight scene between the two of them but okay. um it's peripheral to me it's like it's it's not something I, I care about i care about the drama that's happening like the acting and like those scenes that you're talking about where like they're looking like where blue eyes is talking to his dad and asking for forgiveness mm-hmm. that acting is like like this is the movie where people were talking about like andy circus should potentially be nominated for best actor but it's like nobody's really talked about Somebody being nominated for fully representing a digital character before. Yeah. Type of thing. I mean, so, he, like his scene where he looks at the old video of Will and then Malcolm comes in and he kind of relates the two to each other and everything yeah. like there, there. Yeah, there's real drama and it works and that's impressive from some standpoint. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. This is I not think what you just, want in your in, in the on the spectacle side, too. Yeah, yeah, I feel it, it kind of traded for dramatic points instead of action craziness points, and I would never make that trade. You know, <laughs> see, it was like, I, and I think I agree with you. Like, I would say, out of all three films, the San Francisco, like the Golden Gate Bridge scene, is the best spectacle that happens in all three films. Mm-hmm. But I think it wasn't until this movie that I fully like became invested in Caesar because I felt this movie took its time to care about Caesar. Because so much of Rise happens on the, his early childhood happens on fast forward that if we got a yeah. little bit more of him growing up, I think I'm okay with the movie being over two hours 
if I want to see what happens. And I felt like Rise sometimes like sacrifices like, oh, we got to be under this like studio mandated set of time because people's interests are ticket sales. Yeah. And we lose out on some of this character development because all we get like a lot of what Caesar's story in that movie is, is him going through oppression. But like, I wanted to see him being happy more. Yeah. I think I maybe like brought an innate, like liking of apes to the first movie that was making up for those holes, you know, or like I would like saw that movie and then went home and like watched ape documentaries or something. and cared about apes separately from the story they told. Yeah. And they, so they do do a good job of representing apes in these films, like physically Mm -hmm. and like structurally and societally, which I appreciate. Um, I appreciate one of your comments that their ape city looks a lot like has a Swiss family Robinson vibe. And I was like, yeah, "Yeah." but that like makes me happy because I like, when I watched that movie as a kid, I was like, oh, that's my dream. Like, I would love to have a treehouse that has, like, a like an elevator in it. And, like... Mm-hmm. I like some of the sets for the humans, too. Like, they've kind of cobbled together, like, these weird... Like, almost like Fallout, the video games, kind of... Well, we have a radio and this dresser matched with this thing because whatever, it, I found it. Yes. Like, uh, Malcolm's room and stuff. And then there's this scene where Dreyfus kind of walks into the radio room from the street and mm-hmm. it just looks like wow this is a pretty elaborate thing they built for this so yeah yeah like there's there's little things here and there it's just overall i felt like the direction they chose wasn't my favorite okay and so. and to be and like in all fairness it sounds like because like this is a very matt reeves direction of things like that yeah. like uh the character drama kind of has to come first for you to care about the spectacle and mm-hmm. I, I, I generally care about it and why I'm pretty excited for the Batman because it might be the first Batman movie like I come out of being like, oh, I love Batman. I haven't really loved a Batman movie the Man. way I love Batman in the comic books that I do yeah, in the movies. I mean, I like Batman movies, but Batman in his own movies has rarely been the most interesting character, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Because like, everybody even, points- like I like the Burton films, but it's like... Yeah, we got Jack Nicholson, we got <laughs> Danny DeVito, yeah, Michelle and Michael Pfeiffer. Keaton's here. And, oh, you know. man, for me, it's Michelle. Like, I I go to Batman Returns because Michelle's just eating up She Yeah, she's great. Scenery. Selena Kyle's great. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then, then you go to this, like, the next ones, the Schumachers, and it's like, oh, you're going for the villains. Like, the villains become the main characters because Schwarzenegger was literally the headlining act of a Batman movie playing mm-hmm. Doc, Mr. Doc, Mr. Freeze. Uh, and then Jim Carrey steals the show. Like... And then, and then even into the the Nolan films, like he does a really solid effort with that Bruce Wayne origin story in Batman Begins. Yeah, but it's a Bruce Wayne movie. It's not a Batman movie. It's a Bruce Wayne movie. And then, and, and then, then past Dark- that point, it becomes villains again. Except the climb, I guess, in Rise. No, that was I was about to say like the one really good Batman movie where Batman and Bruce Wayne kind of become coalesce into one, and you care about their story. For me was Dark Knight Rises. Like, I really love, and I connected to Dark Knight Rises in, like, on an emotional level that I didn't expect. Mm-hmm. It's a Christopher Nolan movie. So, there's a part of me that's, like, excited to see a Batman movie that has, like, inspirations from the video games physically with the the work, but then knowing that Matt Reeves is hopefully going to bring a level of drama that I'm excited to see. Plus, we get Andy Serkis as Alfred, so that sounds like... Right. And I... I think there's potential with like a Riddler story. Like, I think it's the thing I always gave the Val Kilmer Batman was like, I liked that there was like him and Alfred solving. Oh clues yeah. There's and Riddler, Riddler brings great plot, like really fun plot stuff. 
Because it's like, it gives Batman something to do. He has to solve a mystery. Yeah, like I have to go back to the Batcave and think about something. Yeah. But <laughs> to like, plan but, my next move. But that know? movie st- too quickly forgets that Batman's a detective. Whereas this movie, I'm hoping, remembers that Batman is a detective. Like, it's called, he debuted in Detective Comics. Like, that's his... Yeah. Big comic no, book. I, yeah, I want more Detective Batman. So, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully. So that's what I mean. So Matt Reeves, because even like, um, I know your prefer preferences let the right one in. Yeah, and most people. I says, mean, I, I usually give it to the originator of the great idea instead of the regurgitator. That sounds oh really sure. Mean. No, no, no. It is. <laughs> I, well, it's it's a it's not. I don't think it's uh, inherently a bad thing for somebody to remake somebody else's work. Just mm-hmm. do something with it or. Or even bring it to a different audience. I thought audience. it brought a lot of, like, style and craft to it. Yes. But I, I didn't feel like that story necessarily needed more, like, a, a better car accident scene or something. No, no, no. I think for me, it's like, when those type of remakes happen, unfortunately, there's just a lot of people in the world that'll never watch a foreign film with subtitles. Yeah. And so when remakes happen in our country, I'm not, I mean, people get grumpy about it, but I'm not inherently grumpy about it. Because I'm like, yeah, but if there's a good story here, it's going to reach a new audience I mean, uh, Haneke, Michael Haneke did this to his own movie because he was like, oh, I made a movie called Funny Games in Germany, but German movie viewers don't care about these American tropes. I should make an American version. And he did that. And Americans hated it because they're like, watch the German version. I'm like, no American audience member is going to watch a German film about how much they hate America. A film, like an action like film. Like American horror film tropes. Or like, action film It makes film more sense to fit this, yes. this vessel. Or and whatever. I sat there yeah, being like, yeah. why are people being so mean to this movie that's very clearly trying to like actually get to an audience that it's speaking to? Mm-hmm. So, anyways. And it's uh, the same guy making it. Like, if it was like Michael Bay produced. And like, <laughs> that's what I mean. It was like him actually saying, oh, I need to do this. Like, I need to do this. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, I liked Let Me In. I thought it was like generally a pretty good movie, so I was I was happy with it as a remake. Um, so I, I've liked his career as a director. Obviously, you're a big fan of Under Siege Two: Dark Territory. Yeah, and he he came up with that great idea. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a 100 yeah. percent like that's him sole written right. Like he was the sole cre- writing credit on that one movie. Uh, I feel well. I think so, but it got murked up by like. Yeah, I think he wrote well, a movie. Seagal can't get hurt. That's so. what I mean. Like, I think he wrote a movie, and then somebody secretly came and made it into a dark, like, uh, under siege film. Retools it for. Yeah, I think his movie was Seagal's called. Wasn't it called ego. like Dark Territory? His like screenplay, and, and then, it was more more inspired by Die Hard. Yeah, than, like being the villain, like the hero being able to be hurt and everything. Yeah, and then but somebody came on and, and doctored the script so it fit into a Steven Seagal format. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But then Cloverfield. Is, Cloverfield's a great movie. Is Is Matt Reeves your MVP? Or no, that's why oh, I'm okay. talking about him now because I'm not putting him as my MVP. Okay. Because okay. I I wanted to kind of give some praise to him. I think this is a good steady hand. Um, going forward now, like there's a bit of uh, like you talked about, like there's like there's not a lot that connects this movie to the previous movie, and I think that's because of director change that happened, and also studios yeah. not taking away the film from the I main mean, director. And my my thought that, like, if Landon was in it, it would make more sense is also, like, sort of absurd because such a small percentage of people survived this thing. Like, it's like, why isn't James Franco in it? It's like, well, he died. I mean, almost everybody did. That's what I mean. Like, it's the chances you know, the chances of a key character from the previous film surviving and becoming the main villain. Would become increasingly unlikely as you go on. Because at so. the end of the day, that was one of the more unbelievable things in battle was, like, that what's-his-face, like, the governor... Uh, 
oh yeah is like now the leader of the yeah. mutants and everything and yeah uh, Culp. yeah yeah Culp. um Culp. yeah so anyways i just I, I i mainly wanted to talk about like there's a bit of more fluidity between this movie and the next film like on on some on some level mm-hmm. uh and i think that becomes like because it becomes aware that like the studio is like oh there's money here that we can do and then they gave it to somebody that they kind of allowed them freedom to do the thing that they want to do without right. like there is clearly some editing faux pas like messing around like on the studio side in rise that i wish didn't happen i wish i could see uh, a director's cut or yeah, something exactly. i wouldn't mind yeah so, like it yeah there's a lot on the floor there whereas here it's it's a bigger more full yeah i, I didn't really notice any like clearly there was something missing in yeah this part exactly something yeah anyways yeah so yeah mvps uh i did my summary so why don't you go first with your mvp uh for this one i went with uh toby kebble uh as koba me too uh, he actually replaced a guy. Christopher Gordon played yes. him in the first movie, uh, so he's new to this. But he he brings it like it's really Koba's movie. <laughs> and oh way, yeah, that's what know? I mean. Like I I was I'm gonna I was gonna say a nice kind word to uh, to Andy Serkis because I think he just continues to bring the gravitas, like the weight of carrying yeah, this movie. Like there's an early scene where he kind of asserts his authority as like I am the leader of this this kingdom kind of thing, and yeah. that really plays. Uh, and then he has his smaller moments with his son and stuff. But yeah, Toby gets to do all this like crazy villainy stuff. It's uh, and, and him speaking and the way he speaks in this kind of really aggressive, like hits his syllables hard kind of way <laughs> really worked for me. Like he shouts human lies at at uh, Malcolm early on when he brings him into the cities and explaining his his mission. Yeah. And like now you will know life in cage or something to like everybody like when he's standing on the flagpole or whatever like yeah he just gets a lot of stuff and and does a great job yes uh, i also like him in that warcraft movie i was about to say so. he 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 so he is kind of like um parallel to andy circus andy circus has gotten a lot more bigger starring roles as uh yeah. as a digital actor but toby's also had his fair share he plays two characters in warcraft Okay, because he's the main character Tan or whatever, like the main chieftain. Yes, he's the main chieftain, but then he's also the subsequent one who takes over after Duratan dies. Okay, because okay. he was going to be the star. He was going to continue on working in the next film. He just played yeah. two different. If uh, they got to do those, I, yes. I never, I never hated that movie, but oh no, know. me too. Like I went in there, Nathan. I didn't know a lick about World of Warcraft at all, and I was expecting, yeah. like, it was a free screener I got tickets to from my comic book shop, so I was like, whatever, fine, I'll go see this movie, and I was like, I don't know if this is accurate, I don't know if you guys are upset about this or not, but I'm having a blast right now, so. Yeah, it it felt a bit on fast forward, maybe, like, they pack a lot into its running time, sure. but I was I was okay with that pacing. Like, sure. It's just like, just keep throwing stuff at me, it's fine, Well, I'll figure it out. It's one of those things where... Like, I, I mean, I, I'm not a big video game p- player. You and I went and saw the new uh, Resident Evil together, and yeah. you were, like, chuckling, and I was like, well, what's going on? And you're like, oh, like, they're kind of, like, actually doing the video game references all over the place. Like, I, I feel this, like, awkward dialogue was sort of a joke, but it's <laughs> not a great joke, but it's a reference to the but, And I was, me as a person who's never played these games, have casually watched the previous films, was like, I don't understand what's happening here. Hopefully, mm-hmm. but I didn't have a good time with World of Warcraft. I was like, I don't know if this is good. If people are fans of this game like this movie, but I, I'm having a blast. So, yeah, 
Yeah. No, yeah. So he's I, also you, sorry, he also plays Kong in Kong Skull Island. Oh, really? And he acts in that movie. He's one of the cast. Okay. And so yeah, he's he's carving out a niche for himself as like the next Andy Circus or something. Yes. Uh, but no, I yeah, I, I thought he had a lot of the best scenes in this, and br- yeah, I, I enjoyed how he's how he's carrying himself here. So yeah, I mean, the- I, I don't know to the extent that I agree with the producers that we need him later on. <laughs> we need to revive him after the credits. I or think whatever. it was more like, yeah, like I know Matt Reeves obviously didn't care if that was the case. I think he knew it was happening, but it was like the one producer was like, "Man, we just killed her Darth Vader." I was like, "That's not really your Darth Vader. Your Darth Vader is like." peace like it's like it's war war is your darth vader like having to get mm-hmm. through conflict the propensity for conflicts yes is your main thing um yeah I, I i totally agree with you like toby is my mvp as well he i mean the first the first actor doesn't really get to do much he just kind of like koba's very uh like inexpressive Fearsome looking yeah and inexpressive he, yeah. he has a scene where he just he kills the main bad guy uh the head of genesis like he's pretty menacing in that scene where he's writing the name, but it's all a lot of single still shots. So this is the first time we get to see Koba acting and in, interacting with other apes, like on a mm-hmm. social level. So they bring in uh, Toby to do that, and it's it's fascinating to me because Toby speaks a lot more than other apes do in this movie. Caesar seems to hold back his voice a lot unless he's with humans. Toby acts like he's talking more than, to the apes than he is. Um, yeah actually like when he's he's outing like when his conspiracy is coming together he kind of like is gone humans kill Caesar and he's like yelling to all of the assembled apes and stirring them up or whatever and yeah he's very animated yeah (laughs) in how he's how he's speaking so I think there's Um, a I think there's a choice in there with like making him like he hates humans but he can't help but like not do the ape thing, which is the sign, and to do the human thing, which is the talk. Because mm. Caesar only ex- like really only exclusively talks to humans. There's only a little there's only a few scenes where he talks with other apes. Um for most of the movie, the first parts of the or, movie. Yeah, like even that scene where we're talking about with blue eyes, like seventy five percent of that scene is signed. Yeah. And then they end with some With blue words. eyes talking. Blue eyes volunteers language at that yeah. point. And then yeah. Maurice says one word which is go now to the humans run. yeah run, run to the yeah. humans because again like he's talking to humans so kova choosing to talk talk a lot more around the apes is, is an interesting choice to me and i think i think it's something to say about who kova is that even though he hates the humans he might be the most well human. i mean there's that final like damning thing that uh caesar says to him which is like you're not an ape Yes. You know, yeah. Like I don't know if he just means like you're just pure hatred, or well, what I think exactly, he's just being like you. You, you lost your, like, you lost your humanity. Like you stopped being a human. Like it's the way people talk about like serial killers. Like they stop being human when they done so yeah. much evil. What's the word for that though? It's like you lost your ape manity or something. I know. <laughs> I was trying to like I was trying. To, I was looking at this like I was like oh like Caesar. I was trying to think in my brain. I was going to say like Caesar's my favorite person in this movie but i was like wait what is the definition of person and like yeah. all of our words for like beings like human like beings are all like human centric yeah yeah so like a person is literally like oh a, a person uh, like a human in- in- encapsulated in a body and i'm like oh okay um so this is my well they've best- sort of ascended to that level in yeah. this narrative so this is my best this he's the best ape being in this movie <laughs> yeah so yeah anyways yeah so so okay yeah, that, that conversation actually went better. I was nervous coming into this conversation because I remember when this movie came out, you and I had some 
I mean, it's such a come down for me from like one of the biggest surprises I ever had to like now I have a bunch of expectations and hopes for where they go with it and they don't. Yeah. <laughs> like they chose their own path or whatever. So I just remember it, 2014 yeah. like being excited about this movie and coming out of it being like, oh man, I loved it. Like I loved it. And you were just being like, this is, this is hot. It's trash. kind of a bummer. Yeah. I mean, and I was just <laughs> like, oh, oh man. Okay. Yeah. And then my brain being like, I kind of like this one a little bit more. And not being able to feel like I could tell you that without like getting the wrath, wow. that, getting the yeah, wrath okay. that was Cody, like <laughs> the, dri- oh, the drive, suffering the, the same. drive, co- co- yeah, wrath. So no, I I can get pretty irrational when I really seize on to. Oh, and I do the same thing. Like when somebody's like somebody attacks the prequels, I'm like, I don't, I don't even know how to talk to you in like a sane way to make my point across. It's just, just be quiet, like, leave me alone. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Oh. I kind of wish he fell straight down. I know. You know? No, no, I think I agree. that would have been more I, dramatic. I honestly thought that that was like a, like a decision on the studio side to make it more dramatic. Honestly, it. I felt. I thought it was either like this was staged for 3D and it would look crazier in 3D. I, but it's so far away that I don't know how it would be. Yeah, because it would be or or it's like to tee up that post credits sound thing oh i, I think like, it, well something sort of broke his fall and i think it is know, more maybe. to do with that honestly speaking like i agree with you like that hans gruber just him letting go and then just falling like and straight yelling, down like as he disappears into the fog or yeah. whatever i yeah. i totally agree with you but i i have a, i have a sense that like that was like not something that like he wanted to do but because i from what it sounds like matt reeves didn't want koba back but this mm-hmm. seems like a studio being like oh this way we can like you know kind of leave it open leave a window open because he dies off screen like he dies in the dark so we don't know he could be alive yeah but overall yeah i was i was still really impressed with kobe or toby toby um for koba but okay question time uh which could lead to something we were talking about earlier uh did your family use a movie guide in the pre-internet days and which one was it and are there any reviews you remember from it uh my parent, my family didn't, but one of my earlier, earliest Christmas gifts was this annual movie guide that was put out by Blockbuster. It was like literally the size of a dictionary and okay. it would have all sorts of reviews in it. And I didn't use it for reviews as much because I disagreed with so many movies that the, whoever this person was that was writing them, mm-hmm. I used it for information. So like I would open it up and be like, oh, who directed this movie and who was in this movie and and like, what are these people's names? Like, it's where I really learned about, like, the creators. Like, oh man, I love this movie. Who is this person, and what else has he done? And was able to yeah. like connect those I, things. I guess that's probably the same major function. Like, I was a Leonard Maltin's movie guide yes. guy. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it would just be kind of associating directors with different films and like following a series of things and seeing different, uh, you know. Yes. Creative personnel. But then I, I would kind of pay attention to the scores because they just sink in. Uh, and sometimes they definitely didn't like, oh, yeah, that's another one he didn't like. And I, I wonder if his dislike of it infected my perception of it. He gave like Taxi Driver like a two. And yeah. I don't really like Taxi Driver. <laughs> I, I, I wonder because uh, I never got it. Mine wasn't the yet letter melts one. I'm just doing a little bit of research now. To see if I can find it, because the Leonard Maltin one like, shows up. Was the one you had, like, Video Hound, or was it not that one? I, I, I honestly, all I have in my brain is, like, 
they literally looked like little dictionaries and every year they got bigger and bigger because they would add movies and they always had the back had like all about the Oscars like every single okay. year what, what what the Oscars won in the major sections I just seem to remember like a dog with like sunglasses on or something no, mine was pretty like formal looking it was like it was just a paperback book that literally looked like a paperback dictionary but really okay. really really thick like super super thick I, I think I'm also just remembering like you had a a cup from Rob Schneider's The Animal. Uh, uh, at a bowl. A bowl. Yeah, That's what from it was. Blockbuster. Like it was a, uh, yeah, it was a bowl of like you rent two movies, you get two pops, and you get this like free item. So I just feel like there's like some sense memory or something where I like ate a pickle from the bowl and then opened your video guide and read a review for The Animal or something. Oh, that's what. <laughs> like, I, yeah, that's what I mean. Like I did have that book up until. My parents threw them away. Okay. And I had them like up until like when you and I were friends, I still would have had a copy of something sitting somewhere. And I guarantee you, yeah, you picked it up and, and flipped through it. But flipped it would have been from it, like yeah. 2001 maybe would have been the last year that they they stopped releasing them. So I didn't have okay. any copies after a while. Yeah, 2001 is the last Malton I have. I know they did some past that point, but I just had mine, I guess. And um, at that point had discovered IMDb, so I didn't really need it. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, for me, it was yeah, IMDb and uh, Wikipedia were the two big discoveries. I was happy I didn't get the Leonard Malton one because I just don't like his opinion. At, he has he there's a couple of his opinions I have written here where like same thing with the shining he gave it like two I think maybe one and a half like he really didn't like it uh and fight club also which like, he was just not on board which is not like shocking because that was a pretty like it just one thing I appreciate about you know something I really appreciate about Roger Ebert is that he revisits movies later on and like will recorrect his revises entire... his take yeah like there's been movies where like he's been given out he has like these uh he has a bunch of four-star films, but he has, like, a separate section of, like, what's called four-star great films, where he'll review a, a movie he loved in the past, and maybe we'll bump it up to a great film, or bump it up to four, or a four-star that he wanted to revisit, and he'll write these legacy things, or a, a movie he watched again 20, 30 years afterwards. And It's like, this is truly timeless or yeah, something. Yeah. That, that's something that I appreciate about him, because he'll rewatch something and be like, actually, no, I was wrong, or he'll mention in a later guide oh yeah, I did rewatch this movie and I actually ended up liking it type of thing. Like I was, we were all unreasonably angry with The Shining when it came out, but it's actually a pretty good movie. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then there's a couple where I feel like, yeah, I like a thing more than I would have were it not for his, him like setting the tone. So Back to the Future 3, he gave like as good a score as the first one and was like really enthusiastic about it. And I, that might've helped me get to that place with that movie <laughs> you uh, know? i found it okay i apologize why i got it wrong because it's the rogers video movie guide video movie guide and it's done by mick martin and marcia porter oh, okay and it's just updated and it looks like the last year was actually 2002 but i don't think i have this one or ever had that one yeah okay oh i'm, I'm so pumped i found it yeah um but Rogers it was published video. by the video store I used to work at? Yes. Rogers Video is a Canadian okay. thing. So That was like five years later I worked there, so I don't know that we would have had any kicking around or anything. Yeah. Like but... you, yeah, they, they had gone out of circulation. Uh, yeah. Just... But no, before IMDb, like IMDb was a big discovery as well when I finally, like when I found it, it was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. It's like that, but you can just click on things and then see all of the things, yes. you know? So, yeah, it was definitely easier to navigate. I still have my 2001 one, though. It broke in half because it was so big. 
that the binding couldn't contain the thousand pages anymore. Oh, okay. Uh, but I have both have still and occasionally look through it for just weird things he was looking at. Like, I remember the Thin Man series. Like, it's like some serial from like the 20s or 30s or something. It's just like, oh, we have to have like a big thing on these. Interesting. It's like, I, I don't even know where you'd find those anymore. <laughs> like, or there's there's certain movies in there that don't even have a home video like emblem next to them. They were just like never put on D- like VHS, Laserdisc, or DVD. They just don't exist. Yeah, that was the one thing about my guide too. Is like there would be movies that I'd like, hey, I'm trying to figure out what this movie's about, and they never, this this pair never watched it, mm. so they just never, you know. I he also handled TV movies in a really weird way, where it was like everything else was like standard, like it would go from zero to four stars. With TV, it was like average, below average, above average. Like it would just say that. Yeah. So, oh, okay, we're looking at the picture of the guide now. So this is the guide, and every year it would update, and it was just this big tome type of thing. Uh, kind of what you were talking about. I still do that with Roger Ebert reviews. Like if I'm watching a new movie or rewatching something old, I'll flip on. If it came up before 2011, I'm typically checking out to see what Roger Ebert thought about it type of thing. Mm-hmm. So. I miss the the ABC used to have like a video archive of all of him and Siskel's discussions. Yes, but it went away after a while. It's so almost all of them are on Internet Archive. Okay, okay. You just have to like, do some funny languages. Like you have to know the movie. Oh man. I'm just remembering. Like it was impossible to see the review for Cronenberg's Crash because it would just default to the new one. Oh, like, like 2004. If you search, it would say like 1997 or whatever next to it, but then you click on it, it would start playing the 2005 movie review. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I see. They crossed the wires. So if I look up the 2005 one, it'll show me the opposite one. And it's like, no, it's still that one. <laughs> so it's just like, no. Because Roger I know they didn't like it, but why? Roger didn't like 1997's Crash, correct? I don't. I don't think most people did. Like, <laughs> it, it was one of those like everybody walked out of the theater at Cannes kind of thing. I know I saw it as a kid, and I was, I was definitely far too young to see it. But I'm still pretty certain in my life now, I still don't probably need to see it. So okay, it's just not. It's not my fetish, and that's okay. But like bent metal and hurt and pain and weird scars and things. Yeah, do just, not you know. do not coalesce into my brain as like. A fetish that I'm interested in, so that's okay. Fair enough, yeah. Thanks, David Cronenberg. Canadian. So. <laughs> yeah, so Canadian. So, but okay. Anyways, yeah, yeah. So, movie guides were definitely a big part of my childhood. They helped me to like know why I loved movies because it was like, oh, this director or this writer or something. Oh, what know? a hot streak! Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, no, I think they served their purpose at the time, but now it's all digital so yeah. that's okay but still i i end up using it a lot though like i'm i don't know about you i'm on imdb every time i watch something just to check out stuff oh the way i've been doing it recently is right after i watch something i go okay. check it out okay yeah I, I i need to get into that habit there's times but sometimes it's like oh this movie's not engaging me on the same level it should be so I'll, i will look it up as i'm as i'm watching it as you're watching it but okay I'm just worried I'll stumble on a spoiler or something. Oh. Or for TV shows, it's really bad because it'll just be like, man, Idris Elba is killing it in this show. Wait, why isn't he in any episode past the third season? <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> you do have to like, you can't go look at those cast lists and see like, oh, wait, all these other characters have 58 episodes, but Idris only has 20 and he was in the first episode. 
Oh, he's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bummer. Yeah, but oh well, that's the danger of information. That is the danger. anyway. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, you should email us Ryan at okvideo.ca or Nathan at okvideo.ca. We'll do that. Uh, you can also tweet us at okvideopodcast. Uh, next week is our final ape film, War for the Planet of the Apes, which was also directed by Matt Reeves and co-written by him and Mark Bomback. Uh, until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Ryan. Bye-bye for now.